me let me propose to you. Um, uh, well, let me give you a, a scripture here, and this is Romans five eight, and that is in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And my question for us is why? Why did God do that? What is He intending for? the power of that cross, which is still active, what is God intending to do as Jesus went to the cross? What is God intending for that work on the cross to do? The answer is to change us. Christian counselor David Pallison says that the fundamental or core purpose of redemption is to change our want. Um, and so with that in mind, uh, let's pray, and uh, we'll get started. Okay, let's pray. Father, in this moment, I pray that Jesus will become this remarkable Redeemer who He is. I pray, Lord, You help me. Help me not be a distraction. Help me to just speak clearly and to uh, grant uh, you full reign in this room, and I pray that as we engage this, this text from Scripture, you will engage our hearts. Thank you for the gospel, and help this gospel to become giant, massive, huge in our lives, and help us to trust you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Okay, so... Uh, Listen to this text again. I want to just read this for you. And uh, let's just read this again, nice and slow. And I want you to just get the feel for this text. And as I, as I get started here, let's start with this question. What, uh, what, what must have been going on in the Apostle Peter's mind to write these words? Why would he have written these words? And let me suggest an answer to my own question. He understood that in the average Christian, there was a gospel gap. A gospel gap. This means that they were believers who were not engaging their Redeemer. And fruit was not being produced as a result of that engagement. Peter the Apostle had been around Christians for a long time at this point. And the one observation he has, and this is likely was a sort of a circular letter. This was a, uh, an authorized, uh, uh, inspired letter from God through Peter for various churches. And Peter writes about the transformation that is to happen because of the gospel. But the implication is Christians are not engaging in that change process. They may be attending worship. They may be doing Christian duties. They may be doing Bible study. They may be doing fellowship group. They may, be, they may, they may have Christian activity, but they're actually not engaging their Redeemer in the day-to-day -day life situation that they find themselves. So here... With that in mind, let's read this one more time. 
Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So foundation is you have everything you need to respond to life because of what Jesus has done. He's given us everything. Okay, here we go. Now you might want to play the video of your life in the last 10 days. Uh, Have I been acting that way? (laughs) Have I been responding to life knowing that these everything for my life has been provided in Jesus? Okay, verse 3. And he has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which, verse 4, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Christian, you draw upon these promises. Christian, this is how you access the power of the gospel in your moment. Look at verse 5, excuse me, the end of verse, uh, middle of verse 4, so that through them, the them is the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, this doesn't mean we become divine, right? God has a monopoly on godhood. We will always be human. What is was being was meant here is that we are participating in the union that is with Christ, as the theologians call this, that we have been brought into union with Christ, and this divine union is producing divine results in us. We are participating. You see, in the, in the nature of Jesus who became one with us. In order to redeem mankind, God became enfleshed in human flesh to make a new humanity. So it is not that we are joining Jesus. Jesus has joined us. This is what we're celebrating in, in, in Epiphany and in, in Christmas. Jesus has joined us, and now he has called us to be part of his new humanity. So Peter is saying that through the promises, you are participating in that power that's there through Jesus, in in Jesus. All right. And then here's the deal. Look at the end of verse 4. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So there is progress in holiness, progress in what is called sanctification, being set apart for God, leaving behind the sinful desires uh, of a former life. Now, verse 5 sets up, now that was all foundational, and then verse 5 sets up this, for this reason. Now, in other words, okay, are you ready to apply this? (laughs) That's kind of, are you ready to apply this? All right, here's verse 5. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Okay, what's the operative word there? Faith. How are we sanctified by effort or faith? Faith. We're justified by faith, right? Declared righteous through Jesus by faith, accepting Jesus, right? Now we live the Christian life by faith, and we are to supplement this faith with, and now there's a list of seven characteristics or seven fruits of the Christian life. Now, uh, 
if you feel pretty confident in your life, you feel pretty good, you're well accomplished, you're, uh, you, know, you feel pretty good about your life, um, let's all stop that. <laughs> because we're going to go through this list. And by the way, this is just page one of the menu. The menu is very thick. The menu has many implications for what it means to love like Jesus loved. Many implications. But this is just a sample of what it looks like to grow in uh, godliness, right? What does it look like to interact with Jesus by faith in the moments that you live? What does it look like? Well, here, here's what it looks like. It looks like virtue. That's a, that's a core character quality of, of godliness, of uh, uh, reflecting your, your Redeemer. Look at verse, uh, look at the next, for, uh, supply, excuse me, supplement your faith with virtue. And then we have knowledge. Look at verse 5. Verse 6, uh, self-control. And then look at, uh, the continuing on in verse 6, steadfastness. And then godliness, and then brotherly affection, and love. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is demonstrated by this fruit. The paradigm of the Christian life is changed. It is vitally important that we as a church could understand what are the purposes of the Christian life. What is God up to in your life? What is God doing right now in order to make what happen? God is intending to make change the priority, and he is bringing about that priority every day. I need to grow in per perseverance. I need to grow in brotherly love. I need to grow, and you could take these seven areas, you could make a scale of one to ten on each of them, and each of us would find some area to grow in. All of us need change. There's not just a, a, a department, a, a side of the church, a, an area of the church that needs change. All of us need change. If you are a bit unconvinced that you need to change, have a conversation with your spouse. Just a little, you know, drive home from church conversation. In fact, husbands, I just throw this out as a, if this helps. Um, no, I, I, but I do, I'll throw this out, is that if you're really feeling great about how well you've been a husband, it's a great time to ask this question. Honey, is there any way I could improve as a husband? Now, you're feeling great already, see, right? And, of course, you want the answer. Oh, no, honey, I can't even think of anything, right? Um, <clears throat> Paul Tripp, uh, author of, the, of this book, he comments in the book, he says, you know, to his wife, Luella, he says this young and early in their marriage, he said, you know, honey, 95% of women will want to be married to me. She said, well, I'm in the 5%. <laughs> so marriage is this remarkable sanctification gymnasium. And... Uh, it's, uh, it's very humbling. And then parenting, which is a prayer request today. Parenting, that's, that's the next level. So as we look at this list here, what do you think Peter hasn't seen in the lives of Christians? He hasn't seen steadfastness. By the way, that's an issue in our day, day and age. Steadfastness, that doesn't sound like, 
Well, I can hang in there with my job. I can think about it. Steadfastness. We have a pretty flaky age, by the way, right now. We're pretty, we're flaky. Steadfastness means abiding with Christians that may be difficult to love, pastors who may be difficult to love, or churches that, you know, I mean, we don't have a great deal of steadfastness. I mean, you take, a, take a look here. Find yourself in here, right? And then Peter assures us, look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, notice what the expectation is of the Christian life. They keep you from being, look at this, verse 8, ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Huh, I'm supposed to be effective. The knowledge that I have of the gospel is supposed to bear fruit. Huh, there are Christians who have absolutely no concern for that. Apparently, there are Christians who are ineffective and unfruitful. Verse 9, and then again, for whoever lacks these qualities, now this is the negative, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. <laughs> uh, having done what? Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So what is the operative power of the Christian life? It is the remembering of my Redeemer in the moments of my life. I am to remember that I've been cleansed of my former sins. That is the number one issue of my life right now. If I'm going to be effective and bear fruit, it is the number one issue. It is more important uh, than having your uh, pork loin at a perfect temperature cooked at the, exactly the right way you want it is more important than what you're choosing about your material comforts or not. It is the most important thing in your life to remember that you've been cleansed from your former sins, and this will now help you see what God is doing. There is a process underway, and, and we're going to learn a lot about this. God is bringing heat your way relentlessly. I'd like to like to soften that, but I can't. So change is God's agenda. How do I engage my Redeemer? It is by faith. So here's a practical thing for tomorrow morning. Just before you, uh, well, as you wake up, <laughs> as you wake up, here's what you need to say. What does faith look like? What does faith look like right now? faith look like right now? And then if you would engage your heart with the promises of God toward you and Jesus, watch what happens. Watch what happens with your patience. Watch what happens if your heart is engaged with your Redeemer in that moment. Let me tell you some stories, uh, and then I'm going uh, to wrap this up. <clears throat> um. We we uh, we go to Mexico, and um, about uh, eight months ago, I think we were in Mexico, and uh, we're at Mexico City Airport. We find Mexico City Airport to be the better one. There's another one, but we find that to be a, a better airport for us. So we've arrived. Uh, 
Amaris was there with us, and Marianne and Todd were at the airport. And we get this text from Aubrey. Uh, our plan is to go to, um, to get on a bus and go about five hours west and uh, go to where they can find us. We get this text from Aubrey, and our daughter Aubrey uh, is somewhat uh, cryptic in what she says. Like, how do you interpret that? Do you understand that? You know, it's, we have a lot of those things. So she says this, uh, we're, we're five hours from where they live. So she sends this text, we've arrived, and she, the text says, we'll be there in just a moment. We're driving five hours? Like, what's the plan? This was not part of the plan. So we wait around for another hour to wait for her next text, which is even more difficult to understand, and we, we assume that she's on the way. Wow, this is not part of the plan, so we're going to be picked up at the airport, which is a long way from where they live. So we wait, we wait, and we wait. We got to know a lot of the details about Mexico City Airport, and um, they, they, they pull in and they find us, and they're driving this big black SUV, and we pile in, and we're driving outside of the town now, Mexico City. Uh, these unbelievable traffic, you, you, amazing, difficult. And we uh, are now, it's in the evening now. It's, it's uh, 10, 11 o'clock at night by the time we are leaving the city. And uh, Tonio is driving, and he mentions to me that, you know, we don't really have the sticker we're supposed to have on the car. I said, what do you mean, what sticker? Well, uh, they have a pollution control and uh, only certain vehicles from outside the city, you have to have a sticker, uh, you have to pay for it. If you, you want to come into the city, you, you can't just drive into the city because they have millions of cars, and so they're trying to regulate the amount of cars that come into Mexico City. So you can come in, but you've got to have the sticker, and you know, you've got to pay a little fee and that kind of thing. Well, they didn't do that. So I just thought, well, this is kind of a, okay, well, may we not get busted. So we go through this uh, toll road thing, and on the other side of the toll road, there are uh, federales and uh, police and army people, and there's a checkpoint there. So we, they, 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 they wave us over. I think, oh, maybe they'll give us a greeter gift, a welcome gift to Mexico or something. So um, we, we interact with these gentlemen, and they share with us that we did not have a sticker. Uh, that sticker came up again. Huh, that's, uh, that was important. So then we find out that uh, they had borrowed this truck from the ranch and uh, where our daughter worked, and they didn't have any of the paperwork on the vehicle. This thing could have been stolen. You know? I said, what's going on here? There's not a, you know, we're just driving this random car. And uh, again, it's, it's approaching midnight, 30 miles outside of Mexico City. Anybody else want to join me on this experience? Yeah. So I'm watching this thing, I'm watching this, and then we're thinking about how much money do we have? Can we pay the fee now? <clears throat> and I am thinking about my life and what I believe. What do, what do I believe? And at that moment, uh, I knew that what my family needed was calm, and uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. For some reason, faith was engaging. And I rehearsed in my mind God's sovereignty, God's goodness toward me. Just had my own way of kind of doing this, right? Just kind of this, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I was relatively peaceful. 
and uh, that's that's a good story. That's a good story. And by the way, we, yeah, they came up with some fee that we had to pay, and uh, and we drove off. And you know, it's kind of a you know, we should have had the sticker, and we didn't. And so we drove off, and they we paid some sort of fee, and that was the end of it. Now that's a good story, right? That's a good story. That's my engaging with faith in that moment. And what Jesus had done for me loomed large in my heart at that moment. Okay? It was big. And still in the middle of mystery. How did that how did that happen? Not sure. Uh, uh, entirely sure. Uh, I know I was engaging with faith. Now here's another story. Um that first story was really, I'm out of my element. I can't control anything, right? I really can't. I didn't decide to have this car pick us up. I didn't decide to not have any of the paperwork in it. So I was watching this whole thing like, this is just a big mess. And I didn't, I mean, when I contribute to the mess, I get a little anxious. <laughs> but, but this was like, wow, this is craziness. So I was just going to go with the flow here. Now, what would happen if we move into an area of my expertise? Ooh, watch out. Let's watch how this one lays, uh, plays out. So on our most recent trip, <clears throat> we take a bus from a little town called Ario de Rosales, and it's about a five-hour bus ride. Uh, it's an all-nighter ride, by the way. Um, and uh, so there's a bus, and uh, we went to go buy tickets the day of, and almost no one ever really rides on this bus. Well, it's the holidays, and they only had two seats left. Well, there's three of us traveling. And the lady says, but there is a, a, a bus Instead of leaving at 10.30, it leaves at 10.50 p.m. And we're going to try and catch a plane in Mexico City at 6.15 in the morning. All right. So Marianne turns to me and says, well, you know, you should be grateful. They don't, even, they don't usually have a second bus. So there's a second bus. And I'm saying she's trying to. Marianne's remarkably positive, just to let you know. Uh, it's been a great source of irritation over the years. But... Uh, Amazing. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm calculating in my mind. Wait, we're five hours away, da, 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 and I've got our daughter Amara now. One thing for me as a dad, I'm very protective of our girls and their experience. Marianne's rugged, and I should be probably more protective of her uh, because. But Marianne, I'm telling you, she could, uh, you know, Little House on the Prairie, Laura Ingalls Wilder, she could bake biscuits at 10 degrees below zero with just two matches. Uh, I mean, she's rugged. She's tougher than I am. But I looked at our daughter, Amaris, and I realized, wait a minute, this 20 minutes makes it, th this is big. So we're going to arrive in Mexico City at 5 a.m., 5.15, something like that. There's no way. We can't get to the airport and get her on a 6.20 flight. There's just no, I just, no, I'm going to do this. Yeah, we can do this. You're looking at a professional traveler. I will figure out how to get around customer service, and uh, I will make I will implement my will. I'm the king of travel. So, at 10:50 in the evening, the other night, I was prepared for the arrival in Mexico City at 5 a.m. And uh, let's watch what happens. Remember that cool, calm, collected guy at the inspection station for the car? He didn't show up. I lost him. 
So we arrive, and uh, there's about uh, 95 luggage bags un underneath the bus. Ours are the last four. We lose a lot of time right there. We get, in, we get to the taxi stand there. This is 5 a.m. next to the city. By the way, I, if you want to get through there, it, it's an amazing experience. We know how to do it. And uh, I look at the taxi thing, and we have tickets for the taxi, and I see one guy. There's 40 people here ready for taxis. One guy, there's 400 taxis over here, and one guy administrating the program, right? Uh, it's just, it's, it's maddening, okay? So we get in, we, we needed two taxis because we have all this luggage stuff. So we get to the airport, and I am realizing we might just make it. Now, Maris is flying to Atlanta. Uh, Marianne and I are flying this direction. So we want to get her on the plane. Now, what's kicked in is my will, my demands, my understanding of travel, my expectations. See what I'm saying? This is the recipe for disaster. So we get to the check-in line, and they want my uh, they want my passport. International travel? I'm confused. So they want my passport. So here's what I here's what happened is I reach in, and this is my uh, wallet, this strange little thing, and it has this little thing right here. You see this little right there? Okay. Um, this was inside my bag, and uh, and I can't get it out. I can't get it out because it's full of stuff. There's stuff in my bag. So see this little area here? Can you feel what to see what's going to happen? So I'm tugging at this thing. Now, you've got to realize every second counts. Every second. Now, it's not for me. It's for my daughter, Amaris. Now, does that sound pious? Does that sound good? <laughs> see, all this effort is not for me. It's, it's, of course it's for me. It's all about my comfort. See, I'm saying it's all about my comfort. Is Amaris part of this? Well, barely. It's about me. <laughs> it's about me mastering the crazy experience of a Mexican bus and the Mexican taxis. And that, that makes sense. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. So I take this thing and, uh, with amazing patience, rip it right out of the bag. And all the stuff that's in my bag goes. Doosh, and there's a couple hundred people there in United Airlines watching me. And all my junk out of my bag starts floating in the air. And then it lands. And then there's my daughter, Amaris, looking at me. She's like, Dad, what's, what's the story? <laughs> I said, I got my passport. <laughs> it's, it's right here. Now, uh, she didn't make the plane. But there was a flight two hours later. She got on that one. What on earth happened? <laughs> In that moment, I had no Savior. I had no Redeemer. No one rose from the dead for me. No, nothing. I was, in Peter's words, ineffective, unproductive. See? What would have helped me? In the big picture, does it, is it that vital? Begin to begin to work the big picture backwards. It's so vital. How are you reacting to the difficulties of your life? And is there a gospel gap? What I did was I substituted the gospel with another gospel. Well, what's my gospel? Mine is the travel expert gospel. 
Mine is the master of Mexico buses and taxis gospel. Mine is the creative, managerial, I can do it, let's do it, let's make it my will replaced the gospel in that moment. I became irritable. I became unkind. I became a poor representative of someone who's been redeemed by grace. Now, I want to leave you with all kinds of hope because if you will just, in those moments of tension, difficulties, and they're coming your way, and by the way, God is designing them. If you will, fill your mind with the promises of God to you and engage those promises and engage your Redeemer in that moment. I'm not saying it will be magically easier something remarkable will happen. You begin to change and you realize it's not about my comfort or my ease. It's about conformity to his goodwill to me. And the gospel will become sweeter and sweeter to you. So let's pray and uh, then we'll uh, engage with the Lord's Supper. Lord, thank you for this moment we've had to think about these important things. Um, I'm humbled, humbled by my need. I don't want to be seen as a sinner who needs Jesus once again. It's just so strange. But uh, I pray you would help uh, all of us um, that we could really, by your grace, form a gospel culture here where it makes perfect sense that we all struggle. It makes perfect sense that we uh, don't understand and we don't remember And so uh, help us, Lord. Thank you for the means of grace today that uh, are so good toward us. And uh, your, your grace is so powerful to receive us in our weakness. And, uh, and you're kind to be present with us. Uh, and so help us, Lord. Uh, remember you in the Lord's Supper now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.